Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Like a Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky and today's guest is Stan Brock. So once again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day, being a guest on the show, giving the listeners something to listen to. Uh, please introduce yourself, where you're from, where you've been, what you do, anything you'd like the world to know. Good afternoon, people. My name is Stan Brock. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm an accountant by day, photographer in my free time. Okay. Uh, yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. You a Cardinals fan? Absolutely. Uh, would Would you kill me but if I have it you, any other way? <laughs> would you kill me if I told you I'm a Cubs fan? Ah, man, I would actually weep for you. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> oh, shots I, know I know that's, that's <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I do. You know, so it's a funny story. Um, I'm from the south side of Chicago, fairly close to where the White Sox Stadium is. Um, growing up, it was Comiskey Park. Now, I don't know the name of it. I don't care because I'm not a Sox fan. But being on the south side, it's typically all White Sox fans. So uh, my whole family, White Sox fan, and then I'm the outcast because um, I was the only Cubs fan until people started jumping on my bandwagon and then we won the World Series, but they won it first. Anyways, it's not a sports podcast, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I got a lot of shit from my family for being a Cubs fan. And I still do, but... It is what it is, and I enjoy it. So, accountant by day, photographer by night. Okay, got some Superman vibes going from you. Uh, yeah. When did you get into photography, and when you started, what genre did you begin with? Oh, man. Uh, I got into photography as a kid. So, you remember the disposable point-and-shoot cameras you can buy from Walgreens and and um, little small stores like that. Um, so I had to be about eight, eight or nine years old. And like the love kind of went away as I got older. I became a teenager and started, you know, getting into other things, sports and, and girls and I like this that. other <laughs> thing that kind of, yeah, that, that took my attention away from um, like my hobby, my first hobby whatsoever. But um, I ended up, taking some creative writing classes in high school and just studying different cinematographers. And that kind of drew me back into the world of photography. Yeah. So, um, you know, ever since then, I just made sure I kept my nose in it, even though I was doing everything else, I always kept the camera on me and, and made sure I tried to hone my skills as much as possible. But, um, as far as like my, my favorite genre, Believe it or not, judging by my Instagram page, you wouldn't believe what I'm about to say, but I, I, I like um, journalism. Um, I studied a lot of Robert Kappa. I like a lot of Sergio Lorraine's work, um, Roy De Carava, Gordon Parks, and just like different photographers that document society and how it advances and stuff like that. Um, I think you can learn from every genre of photography, even if your photography doesn't mimic you know, that genre whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say that's probably my favorite genre of photography. So, Okay. I'm actually kind of glad you said that. I am enrolled in a photojournalism course. I haven't finished. I will be submitting my second modules photos shortly once I finish going through them. 
I finally got it. I've been working on this one for about four months now. Um, uh, I, I've seen, I looked through your Instagram, which we'll get into later. Uh, I want to get to know a, a little bit more about you before we get into social, because social media is just a, an avenue of connection for me. And um, while other people see it important for displaying their works, I think it's a trap. But again, we'll get into that later. Uh, I want to know more about you and the photographer instead of a social media profile. So I'm really glad you said photojournalism and, uh, you know, this podcast was created around the whole, uh, I want to say universe of photojournalism, right? So I, I would say photojournalism as a genre is the sun and then all the little subgenres are the planets, documentary, street portraits, street photography, candids, the decisive moment, all of that, you know, everything plays around the, the the genre of photojournalism. So uh, I do appreciate you saying that. If you could pick one of those photographers you, you listed, which one would you say would be your most influential? <clears throat> I don't want to say favorite because, you know, they're all different. It's kind of like Tupac versus Biggie, right? Great rappers, two different styles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who who would be the most influential for you? Um, I would probably say uh, Boy Day Caraba. Uh, he's definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz musicians and, and I just love Black American history. And I think he did like a masterful job at mm-hmm. documenting both. Okay. Um, at, at least in my opinion. Um, I don't know if it was perfect timing, but him being in Harlem and during that time period in Harlem, you had like Harlem was the go-to place for black artists, whether it was poetry, mm-hmm. you know, music, acting, and and, and everything. So, um, I don't know, man. I think he, he caught lightning in the bottle and, and it's got me hooked, you know? Yeah, so, I like that. Lightning yeah. in the bottle. That's the name of this podcast. I'm writing that down now. Uh, you said jazz, photography put together. Uh, are you familiar with, I'm going to name two photographers here, and they're really... They did, you know, well, one, everybody knows Jim Marshall. If you don't know who he is, you know his photos. Uh, Worked a a lot with Miles Davis and uh, Coltrane. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other was, I was going to, W. Eugene Smith. He has a project, a book called Laugh, um, Jazz Loft or Loft Jazz, something like that. Sorry, my brain's still off, but I've been looking for this book for quite some time. I've seen some, but for some reason they don't ship to me, so. Still looking for that one. Have you seen it? Or heard of his work? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with his work. I don't have that book. Okay. But I'm, I'm familiar with his work. I'm familiar with Jim Marshall. I don't know if you've ever heard of Henry um, Dilts, but I'm familiar with his work as well. He shot a lot of, um, uh, like, rock musicians in the seventies and the eighties and he still shoots today. Um, but he's, he's another photographer that's, you know, that's known in music as well. So mm-hmm. I may know his photos, but I don't know the name kind of like Jim Marshall. Everybody knows his photos, yeah. but they don't know who he is. I, I will probably yeah. have to look him up and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I know. Uh, going back to earlier, you said you kind of like writing. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, I took a lot of creative writing courses, um, 
in high school and in college. And I, I still write to this day, but um, like a lot of short stories, poetry and stuff like that. Um, at one point in my life, I did have plans to write a movie script, but mm-hmm. you know, you sit down, you start, you throw stuff away because you feel like you, I'm one of those um, people that's like overly self-critical of myself. So I'll start stuff and I'll constantly, you know, throw it away or modify it. Then uh, a year later, revisit it and, and look at it and be like, ah, that wasn't that bad. So maybe I'll continue off from here, then throw it away again. And just too much, man. Yeah. I got you. Are you yeah. a tourist by any chance? Because I'm the same way. I start something and then I scrap it because self-critical. I'm like, ah, this fucking sucks. And then, like you said, a couple days, weeks, months, years, however long it is, I'm like, man, ah, I want to get back into that project. And then realizing I shouldn't have thrown anything away. Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not, man. I'm born in October, man. Scorpio baby. So. All right. No worries. I don't. I'm. I don't know anything about zodiacs. I'm just curious if I was the only one who does that. Uh, but what I found, and I, I kind of started doing this recently. I always find tricks and tips on on methods to help me succeed. Help me succeed, right? And uh, I'm trying to complete my bachelor's degree in business management. I don't know why uh, I'm doing this, but. I mean, I do, but it's not important. Anyway, so I'm doing all these assignments and I got all these ideas and I just type them down. Uh, and I found, like you said, like scrap these ideas because I didn't think they were good. But then later, trying to finish this assignment, I was like, man, that idea would have fit perfectly in here. So what I do is I don't throw the whole thing away. I don't delete it. I actually put a strike through, uh, you know, like bold, underlying. So I would highlight it and then just strike through that item. So that when I get to a, a final draft version, I'll just copy and paste all the stuff that's not strike through. Uh, and if I need those ideas later, they're still there and I don't have to you know, dig deep to, to you know, remember those. So they're always there. That's a good idea. That's a, good, that's a great idea. I, I may have to adopt that. Um, yeah, I, I'm here to share uh, and they're there. Yeah. Uh, and it's easy to identify like, okay, this is a bad idea. Uh, let me just you know work around it. But then... If you want to pick up with it later, as you might, you know, there's, it's still there and it saves you a lot of time. So um, yeah. I'm always finding things, the shortcuts, shortcuts of life. Um, cinematography. Tell me about that. I mean, so it's, it's similar to photography, um, in my opinion, because as a photographer, we tend to like light makes our um, photograph so to speak. It brings it to life. It gives it perspective along with, you know, the angle and, and like the lens and all of that, if you want to break it down, but you can't have photography without light. Mm-hmm. So it's like with cinematography, um, you're using light to show different moves. So, um, if you study like a lot of old black and white films and I don't know, let's say, um, you're looking at a bank that's getting ready to get robbed you know, the shadows look, look diff- may be a lot larger than, they're, they're a little bit exaggerated. The music and, and the way that the light cast onto the shadow or onto the bank robber and stuff like that brings it to life and, and like puts you right in the frame, so to speak. So um, in my opinion, photography is the same as that, except you're just taking a snapshot and it's not rolling um, as far as like film or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
So I've, I've come to notice a lot of people I speak to, uh, cinematography is becoming um, a common background in, in most people and very similar ideological ideals, ideologies. Yeah, ideologies. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Greg Hatton? No, I'm not. Okay, so he's a, a really good friend of mine now. Thanks to this podcast, I connected through him. Um, he is a cinematographer. You two should link up, exchange messages. Uh, he is the same thing, like I said, cinematography and photography. Love everything that we've been talking about thus far. And I think you two will become very good friends. Uh, I will link you two up after the podcast and yeah that would be really good for you guys to get to know each other so and i'm looking forward to meeting them appreciate that so uh i was gonna tell you before we started recording i'm glad i saved it but so dante actually you met dante dante yes yeah so he recommended your profile to me after I already had found you, it was a weird, I don't know, Instagram's weird. They kind of somehow embed their... It, it, Instagram algorithm. tells you to meet people. It's yeah. like, hey, you should meet them. Yeah. So I, I, I am aware of, like, if you type it in your phone, your phone records it, and it kind of does these pop-ups, marketing, people, whatever it is. But sometimes, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one, I don't type it. I think it. And then whatever I'm thinking just fucking happens to show up. I don't get it. It's some weird shit. Technology these days. I'm pretty sure I got some kind of. Maybe it was in the the COVID vaccine I had to get for work. But I yeah, don't know. It's, it's trip, reading man. my yeah. It's reading my thoughts and whatever I think. It just yeah. it comes to fruition on my phone. And I found you. Uh, I was setting up because I like to reach out. I study people's work and you know I want to know about them. And then Dante's like, hey, I just met this one guy, Stan Brock. You should get him on the podcast. And I was like, cool. And I was looking. I was like, oh, wait, shit. I found him already. Even better. So that was a little more of a a better introduction. So uh, thank you for Dante. Cool, for listening. Yeah, I met Dante um, a couple of years ago. Uh, it had to be at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. like around that time. And he was in St. Louis. Um was at St. Louis Forest Park, which mm-hmm. is like popular park here. And we just started talking and um, he came through recently and I had coffee with him and, and he seems like a very good guy, man. Yeah. Real good dude. He's awesome. So, yeah. He is my brother from another family. We speak very often. We're working on some projects and he's just, he's a, He's a great person all around. So thank you again, Dante. Uh, I got him on the show. and um, But now we'll get back to you and we'll get into some photography. Uh, so we, we got that you started off at a young age loving photography. I'm pretty sure you were kind of like all of us just taking pictures of anything we could, right, when we started. Mm-hmm. And I say started yeah. when we first were introduced into photography and we wanted to become photographers. Didn't matter what it was. We were just taking pictures of everything. Click, 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 click. When did you discover, we're going to go with street photography, photojournalism, documentary. 
because you kind of capture all of those all together, and we'll get more into um, what you specialize in a little more. But yeah, when did you discover? I would probably probably say about my my sophomore year in high school. Um, um, like I've always known about you know like Gordon Parks and and like a lot of um, black photographers growing up. Just you know throughout elementary you do you learn about different um historical black american black people through black history month and stuff like that so like everybody knew gordon parks and everybody knew like all of the people who was at the top of um, whatever it is that they did for america or for whatever skills that they had or whatever but i didn't really fall into line and actually start studying the work until I matured so much more. So I would probably say about my sophomore junior year of high school. Okay. It's when it really, um, when I really started to understand like the historical aspect of photography and what was being documented and why, you know, certain subjects were being documented. So. Mm -hmm. What was it about those photos and what was it? like that inspired you and help you realize why they were being documented? Well, it's kind of a compare and contrast type thing. So you look at what was going on politically and, and what was going on. Um, so, you know, from a social aspect in our country during that time period, mm-hmm. and then you're growing up and you're developing your own identity and your own understanding of what's going on in the world. And you, you know, you compare today to yesterday, so to speak. So it's like, you know, these people were um, having issues, you know, with police and social injustice and just a lot of things that were happening that shouldn't have been happening. And you look at society today and it's just like, well, how much has changed? You know, um, and you just try to try to make things make sense because you you're young and you don't really like you don't know anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think these photos that you were watching had the power to change the the society around them? At the time? Yeah. No. Really? I think, you know, no. I think those photos at the time would help mm-hmm. the people that came after because they're the one, they weren't living... Like if Gordon Parks were, he was taking those photos in real time. So it's kind of hard to see the evolution Mm -hmm. if you're still in it. But it's like you go through all of the fighting so that the next generation can look back and, you know, see what, you know, their forefathers, their parents and Mm -hmm. um, their loved ones and, you know, all of the atrocities and stuff that they went through. And they don't want to repeat those cycles. The people that are victims... Mm -hmm. And the people that are, you know, not victims, but they're not a part of the class being victimized. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that way about like history in itself, like if you're in the revolution, whether you live or die, you know, you fighting in that revolution is meant for the generations after you. Like yeah. you, you're going to, you know, the generation after you is going to reap those benefits. So, mm-hmm. so I definitely now I, I connect with what you're saying. Uh I, I know exactly what you're saying and, and by what, what you mean why it, it's not going to change anything today today like so if Gordon Parks was alive today capturing 
those photos or if I was alive and we're talking mm-hmm. back in, the, in, in in that era. I, I understand what you're saying is not going to change. And I, I think the reason why is because those ideas, those thoughts, those feelings are, it's cultural. Now, I don't mean cultural in the sense of people's race, gender, ethnic. I mean cultural in the beliefs that people are taught, right? So yeah. uh, I'll use my job, for example. Uh, we, we go through uh, many different changes. Uh, okay, this one rule doesn't make sense. We're not going to consider this rule whenever I'll use a promotion-based system. We won't use this rule when it comes to promotions, right? So now they created a new rule. We can't use this particular situation for whenever we're going to promote somebody. Uh, Again, so this is cultural thinking. The people who are in charge at this exact moment have that cultural mentality. Well, uh, I had to endure it when I was uh, growing up through my promotions so even though we're not supposed to consider this, uh, I'm still going to consider it because that's how I feel, right? And you mm-hmm. can't do nothing about it. Again, it's cultural thinking. So it's not until, like you said, the generations after that have the power to change the rules that have been changed. Yeah. So, so the photo in itself is like, okay, this is a photo of Stan being beat by the policeman. Mm-hmm. This is bad. For society, this shouldn't be happening under these circumstances because all he's doing is marching for freedom, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So this is bad. The next generation, you have to keep fine tuning it. So it's like, okay, why was this bad? How can we prevent this from happening again? And then you know, you have a meeting of the mind, so to speak. Then you know, the next until you have something in place that that prevents that. So. Um, I don't know, man. I, you know, I like history. I love history um, because we can use it in a powerful way mm-hmm. if we wanted to, you know. Um, but you don't really appreciate things that have a, an impact on culture until long after the fact. You know, like I'm living in it. I'm living in, you know, I'm living in the time period where Michael Jackson drops Thriller and it's just like, oh, this is a good album. This is a great album or whatever. Or when Stevie Wonder drops whatever album he was dropping in the 70s. Um, it's like, oh, these are great albums. But it's like, you know, 20 years from now, as I mature, get older and I look back and I listen to the lyrics and I listen to what he was actually talking about and things like that. It's like, man, there's a lot of political lyrics in, in this album. And this album reflected that time period. Yeah. And that album reflected, you know, what was going on in society during that time period. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think it's the same for, um, like, all art, so to speak. Like, you can't really judge the impact of an artist or an artist's work until after the fact, you know? I don't know if things are... Well, I think things have changed a lot because with the internet and with social media... Uh, things aren't as impactful because everybody is constantly looking for that next high. Yeah. So, you know, if you drop an amazing pro- um, project, whether it's a photography book or music video or whatever, like, you know, people scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, that's good. I mean, like it. But then like two weeks later, there's something else. And it's just like, you know, we haven't really had a chance to digest what we just ate, so to speak. So. Yeah. Six seconds. That's what they say. The attention span from social media is the next. It's how many seconds? Six seconds. 
big package. Yeah, I could be wrong. People, you are free to fact check me. These are the things that I kind of recall. Um, fun, useless information, I like to call it. But sometimes I'm wrong. Either way, uh, yeah. you kind of answered the question I was about to ask, and but I'll still ask it. Do you feel there is a photographer who is impacting the world? I, I like I would compare to uh, a Gordon Parks more uh, now currently. Um, one of my favorite photo uh, journalists. I don't know if you follow her or if you've heard of her. Her name is Vanessa Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I've actually spoken to her. She was a guest on the show. Okay. I think she's extremely dope, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a lot of her work. Um, there's so much range within it, you know, uh, whether she's documenting like personal things in her life or things mm-hmm. in Haiti or, you know, Miami, she was in St. Louis for a certain period of time. So, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, I would put her up, not put her up there as far as I'm saying she's greater than Gordon Parks. I, I tend to not think like that mm-hmm. in regards to people because everybody has their own identity. Everybody has their own purpose and stuff like that. But as far as like her, her work, I think her work is extremely impactful. Okay. And it's showing, I mean, because if you look at, you know, what she's doing with her career and how things are mm-hmm. um, prospering for her, um, that speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, do you also know Sheila Prebright and Ruddy Roy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, their work's also... I, I follow both of them, so, amazing. yeah. Uh, actually, Sheila Prebright was in the group chat that you kind of popped in before you had to leave really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if you are, I'm, you don't have to, but if you're interested, um, they're both there. I did speak with them. Um, they're on the podcast earlier a couple episodes before so i do i do got one with vanessa and sheila prebright so they're they're free for you to listen to if you're interested um so i believe you are shooting with a leica correct yes um the m3 leica m3 classic all the way i love it so i also own an m3 um that is the extent of the gear that I will talk about, but I want to know what led you going into um, shooting with the M3. What led you down the path of choosing Leica? Um, well, you know what? When I the first film camera that I purchased was probably a Canon. I had a Canon A1. Um, had had the F1. I don't know if you've ever shot with an F1, but that thing was built like a tank. Um, I had plenty of different SLRs. The first time I came across um, Leica gear was in St. Louis a couple couple years ago. I I was at a photo walk and this guy had a Leica M3 and he just kind of let me look through the viewfinder. And once I saw the frame lines, um, I just knew I had to get one. Um, it's something about the frame lines that, you know, made sense to me as far as like um, framing and being able to see what's, you know, in your image and mm-hmm. what's walking towards your image and stuff like that. So that kind of drew me towards um, like a. Okay. Speak, so. Very similar story uh, between me and you. Um, I do have, I've had the F1N and then the new F1. Many people 
get those confused and they don't know that the new F1 is actually the model name. So I still have my new F1. I sold the F1N because I didn't need two. And I think I sold the wrong one because the F1N is full mechanical. <laughs> Uh, but I don't use it, so I sold the right one because I'm I'm on a, I'm all on Leica now, and like you, my first Leica was an M3, and I knew exactly what you meant. Like as soon as you touched it, like yep, this one's for me, and then shelved the rest of them. Uh, but that's cool. Uh, how like comparing the shooting experience? What was the transition like going from the Canon to the Leica? Biggest noticeable uh, transition for me was the shutter sound. <laughs> uh, the shutter sound, but uh, I, got you. I don't know. It's just the design. You know, I, I love uh, companies that pay attention to detail. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just something about like that discipline in itself that makes me appreciate products. Uh, I feel the same way about, you know, Lamborghini and the detail that they put into the design, their cars, uh, Porsche, uh, Leica, just, you know, different, not talking about from a luxury aspect, but just, you know, you have to really care about your product to put that much attention to the design and the build quality. Mm-hmm. Of, of said item, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of respect that goes along with that. I would appreciate the same thing if I like purchased uh, a wood table from a company and they put the same level of design into that table. Um, I'm just a huge fan of, of craftsmanship, so to speak. So okay. that was like the first thing I, I really, really noticed. Yeah. And you live in, yeah. in St. Louis. I'm sure you've went out shooting in the wintertime with the M3 and had a frozen hand. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, that's they make, that's they make gloves for, man. Uh, so I have a, I don't want to say it's a medical condition. I hate gloves. I have this thing where I can't wear gloves no matter what. I get this weird tingly feeling when I, I put them on. I know on. what you're I, I, I just, ugh, yeah. I want to take them off instantly. I, First, I feel that way. Um, like if I wear non-leather gloves, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It just feels, it feels like you have like socks or something that yeah. shouldn't be on your hands on your hands. And you're just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Confined. So yeah. the, I got my M3 in December in England and England can get a different kind of coat. I am from Chicago and the windy cold is different from a deep cold that gets in your bones. And I'm like, freezes your muscles. I've experienced all kinds of cold. Anyway, uh, I took the M3 because I was so excited. I finally got my first, like, I went to Berlin, Hamburg, Amsterdam. And I shot this M3. I shot so much M3 that, and it didn't matter how cold it was. It was so fun to shoot. But it was the most painful fun I have ever had shooting a camera. Yeah. Because that motherfucker gets so cold, it will freeze your hand and you will have an ice cube. And yeah, it is painful, but fun at the same time. So that's all I can say. I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah. So do you only... Yeah, you know, it gets, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're all right. Um, I was just saying, yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to Chicago, but... Um, 
our our winters here, it it gets cold. It gets cold. Um, normally, if I do go out and shoot, I don't last that long. So I may do you know twenty five thirty minutes. Yeah. Get back in a car, you know, sit for a bit, then get back out and and you know attempt to do it again. So um, I don't mind it that much, to be honest. Uh, I, it, it, it doesn't bother me that much. I'm really old, and unless I'm like I pay to travel somewhere, I'm not going out in in the cold anymore. I'll just fuck it. I wait till it gets warm. But that's just me. Uh, I just hate the cold periods. Yeah. I was gonna ask: Are you shooting digital or are you just pure film? I just have film as of right now. Um, have my Leica, and I have a Mamiya RG67. Oh, medium format. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I do like portraits and stuff like that, uh, I tend to do them like at family functions. I'll take a lot and document family and stuff like that. Um, I don't post a lot of that stuff online. Um, I, I tend to send it to like my siblings and like who's ever in the picture and stuff like that. But from time to time I do share, you know, little small details like that of my life. But I, I do have them Amiga or RG67, man. I, I love that. Okay. I love that. I plan to use it a lot this summer. Um, I plan to do like some back road trips through Missouri down to like the Arkansas border, mm-hmm. do some landscape photography and stuff like that. So, yeah, I have a Pentax 67 and it's equally as big as the RZ. Yours is a little mm-hmm. more longer. Yeah. Yeah. Just curious why you chose the RZ. Bellows, man. I love that bellows system. You can get so close with it. Yeah. I have, um, I have a hand grip for it too. So it kind of makes it a lot easier. And I have, um, I have, uh, the finder prism, the prism finder too. So, uh, but that camera is built for a tripod, man. Yeah. (laughs) It's built for a tripod. Studio setting. Uh, uh, Got it. Yeah. All of those cameras are built for a, a, uh, well, if you're not shooting landscapes, those are all studio cameras. Like, so yeah. I I really love shooting the the Pentax out in the street, but it's just, oh, man, I'm ready to, I'm finished. I wanna, I wanna go. This camera's just too big. Mm-hmm. It's too heavy. So, uh, but it's fun. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so your your photos uh okay let's just go ahead we'll get into your instagram because i i want to talk about how you capture your photos they're they're really intriguing Mm -hmm. to me so please introduce your social media accounts twitters facebook's websites anything that belongs to you that you would like the world to know about my instagram is stan underscore brock the s-t-a-n underscore b-r-o-c-k uh, Facebook, I'm not on Facebook. I don't use Facebook anymore. Uh, I have a website. I just haven't made it public yet. Uh, I made it public for like three hours and I've made it back private just because my anxiety got the best of me. But uh, I plan to make it public again fairly soon. So um, I'll upload a lot more personal work on the website. Okay. Whether, you know, it's like portraits and, and different things that are outside of what you see on Instagram. Perfect. So the your Instagram is kind of like documenting St. Louis. I don't know if you are if you travel to different cities, locations, but you go around. The majority. You, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say you, you go around capturing urban settings. Mm-hmm. 
So a majority of what you see on my Instagram is St. Louis mm-hmm. and East St. Louis, which is in Illinois. Originally, I am from East St. Louis, Illinois, but okay. a lot of you say that and people is just like, where's that? You know, know exactly. What where's you that? So you just saying St. Louis? Okay. I just say St. Louis because it's much easier for people to go, okay, well, at least, you know, you guys have the cart news and what you think about the Rams leaving. But, um, yeah, a lot of what you see is East St. Louis and, and St. Louis, Missouri, and the city of St. Louis. And like a lot of those buildings and, and that urban um, landscape is being gentrified. And I know that because I, I'm driving through it every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I capture the image images and, you know, I know 10, 15 years from now, those areas are going to look totally different. I mean, some look different from a year ago. You know, uh, there's a big government facility being built in downtown St. Louis. So um, a lot of those homes and a lot of that that area that's surrounding that government building is going to change, you know, and it's going to look drastically different. Yeah. Um, I follow a lot of historical pages. Um, there may be like, you know, the history of Chicago or the history of New York or St. Louis has one too, but they'll show images from like the 1930s, you know, um, a search street in St. Louis from 1915 or one from Chicago in 1915. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at the image, trying to figure out, okay, well, this building is still there. This is no longer there. This is no, you know, like I'm attracted to stuff like that because that's how you see the evolution. It's just kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where, I'm taking an image now, but you know, you're not going to really, it's not going to really mean anything until another generation gets a hold of it, yeah. you know, cause they'll have something to compare to, you know, the time that they're in, but yeah. Okay. So I do, I know what you mean by the gentrification, uh, something I connect with um, being from the part of Chicago where I'm from it's completely gentrified now. And and I witnessed it growing up while I was still living in the city. I moved around a lot. So um, I can tell you now <laughs> that shit is real. And, you know, growing up in Pilsen, Chicago, it was nothing. It was a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. Now you find a lot of non-Mexicans in there. And I don't need to say what what they are. People, the listeners can probably guess. Um, That's not the point. But the whole area where I grew up, uh, we used to call it Jewtown. And it was broken, abandoned buildings, bricks falling down, dirt piles, rubbles. It was was everything. And and now you have multi-million dollar townhouses. So you need mm-hmm. you need at least a million dollars to live in the townhouse there, and I'm not gonna lie, it's really nice and it has a Jamba Juice. So there's that. Uh, don't live there anymore. I honestly, me personally, I don't have no aspirations of moving back to the city of Chicago, uh, and that's just because I grew up there and I'm done with it. Uh, I've been all around the world and I know where I want to be next, and that's where I'll go. But just wanted to say I understand the gentrification. So you documenting yeah. this is actually a really good thing because it's kind of like a historical documentation. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I selected this photo of yours. It's a 
It looks like a Chevy Caprice. Just gonna uh, say. We'll call it a bubble. Hopefully people know what a bubble is. It's crashed into a building. Okay, yeah. That was... Um, I actually made that over in East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I was actually out on my way to, you know, to scout some places to shoot, and I saw that. So that was kind of like, you know, right place, right time type moment. Mm-hmm. It was early in the morning when I saw that. So I'm assuming that, you know, somebody had a rough night yeah. the previous night and decided to park their car right there. Yeah, that's a good park job too, by the way. Took out, yeah. Took out a whole building. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it's not every day you get to see that. I've never seen a vehicle crashed into a building ever until I seen this photo. Well, I mean, I've seen movies, but um, I think photos are more realistic. So that's pretty cool. Um, so your 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 goal is to document the gentrification of these areas, correct? I mean, that's not a it's it's not like my only goal, but it's mm-hmm. just something that I'm interested in because um, I'm seeing the small changes. I'm seeing how you know things are changing politically and and um, socially within the city of St. Louis. So it's going to be interesting to be able to look back and see how you know if those changes were for the betterment. Mm-hmm. Or for the worst, but it's not something we can judge. It takes time to be able to, yeah. to to judge those changes and those decisions. So, okay, yeah, I like I like it. Have you ever considered contacting like museums to have some of your work displayed in there? There is a gallery in the city of St. Louis, Thirty One Art Gallery. Okay, and I have some of my work at that gallery. Um, nice. As you should, sir. As you said. Outside of outside of that, no, I've I've never reached out to anyone. Um, I, I try to just remain in the creative mode. Um, you know, I don't want to fall down that rabbit hole of feeling like um, I want people sh- should be looking at my stuff. You know, so mm-hmm. I have weird spurts where, like, I may post on Instagram. And I won't post on Instagram for like a month or something like that, you know, yeah. uh, just to prevent myself from chasing that high and, and and feeling like I have to have content to show people. Because at the end of the day, I don't think anybody truly cares about like my photography, so to speak, because everybody has a camera nowadays. I mean, you have a camera phone every you know, there is a hundred plus billion cameras out there if you're including phones and, and all of that. So um, I just try to honestly keep a low profile and, and, and shoot, you know, okay. I'll, I'll make sure I get on, I make sure I get online. If, um, like if you post something, I always have push notifications for people who work. I admire that way. Whenever they post, I can get on and check it out. Maybe I'll find some inspiration from that. And, but I, then I'll get right back off. But, uh, as far as like reaching out to, gallery other galleries and museums and stuff like that I've, I've never done that okay i did um i gave a presentation for the photography hall of fame here in st louis back in november that was pretty cool it was my first time doing something like that um it was kind of out of my comfort zone but it was something that i really enjoyed yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you you mentioned 
comfort zone because that's coming up shortly. Um, I got a, a few thoughts I want to line up, and comfort zone was one of them. But you you mm-hmm. you, you kind of touched on a, a, a subject where I kind of have to disagree with you, where you said your photos don't mean nothing to no one. So I, I want to say your photos mean something to someone, right? And they have to mean something to someone if you're being exhibited. Not everybody gets an exhibition. So... Um, Guys, stay a little more positive. Your photos are really good. They touch people. Uh, but I just lost what I was going on the way. But your photos are great. I do like them. Uh, and we'll, we'll end that part with that. Uh, but now... I appreciate I, it, man. Uh, of course. You're welcome. Um, so, okay. See? My, my train of thought. I'm getting it back. All right. So we're going to start off with COVID. That kind of fucked everybody up. And then we're going to build off of there. How did the COVID pandemic, and I, I've been using this a lot recently, it's kind of coming to an end, but it kind of changed everybody's method of shooting, what they were shooting, how they were shooting, where they were shooting. How did the COVID pandemic affect your photography? Um, to be honest, I can't say that it had a negative effect on me. Okay. Because it's not like my, my photography isn't really based on um, like models or constantly like seeking people or anything like that. So it's kind of pretty much stayed the same. Okay. Like for me, honestly, um, I can't say that it has a negative effect on me. Okay. No worries. It's um, just based on a majority of, you know, my work. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. So now going that way. How do you step out of your comfort zone? I'm pretty sure this podcast is a little bit out of your comfort zone. Yeah, so um, something that I really want to get into is like doing candid portraits, not, you know, the stage street portraits where um, you're asking subjects for permission to shoot, but more candid stuff Mm -hmm. as if you're a part of whatever conversation that person is having. I really want to get into um, doing more work like that. So what, what I what I try to do is um, I'll go to festivals or just like large gatherings within the city and just shoot on days like that because, you know, people tend to not care and people tend to not truly pay attention to, you know, like their surroundings and stuff like that. If you, if you go out and shoot on a day like that, like a single de Mayo or mm-hmm. 4th of July, million people at the park and stuff like that. So, um I follow people that shoot a lot of photography like that. Um, and I, th- I think it's dope. You know, I, I think it's dope because if you can make the person that's viewing your image feel as if they're right there within the conversation, like that's, that's some powerful stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to, I, I like capturing candid street portraits too. Um, talking to a lot of the people I talk to now, I kind of now I will ask people for a photo, but I still kind of do like the candid ones as well. Uh, two different elements, two different uh, looks. And you can you can tell just by looking which one uh, you asked for versus the ones you didn't ask for. Um, so uh, yeah. I'm going to encourage you to do it. You can do it. Don't be scared. I can yeah. guarantee you, like you said, people, they don't. I, I'll guarantee you 
Well, I I shouldn't say, I can't guarantee you this because you're in the states in a different in the region and the people yeah it's, it's they, different yeah they, they do act different I know them uh, yeah. so I don't I, but what I will say is most times I would say the majority most people don't even know you're taking their photo right so if you make it look a little less conspicuous like you're I- aiming in their direction but they're not one hundred percent certain but uh, yeah so. I don't want to give you bad advice and then someone comes approaches you and like, hey, what are you doing? Taking my picture and then you have to punch them in the throat with your M6 or M3, sorry. So uh, don't be afraid to use your Leica as a weapon. <laughs> jokes, just jokes. So we got you stepping out of your comfort zone, but how do you force yourself to make better photos? Um. Well, you know what? I'm always looking at contact sheets. So when I was younger, I would look at images. And like, if you, if you're looking at someone's work, like a body of work, Mm -hmm. they're taking like their best images. So, you know, if you don't really know, you're looking and thinking that every time this person raised the camera to their eye, every image is like a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. But I've been looking at contact sheets, um, and it's like, if you, if you, I study the contact sheets to see, okay, like this was the first image. This is the same image, except, you know, this, you're two feet closer now. This is the same image. Now you're within, you know, a foot of your subject and stuff like that. And I, I understand that it's a process. So it makes it a lot easier for me to not be hard on myself. But uh, I also go through uh, like my, my Dropbox files every other night or so and I'll look at stuff that I haven't posted online and I'll just look at, you know, did I overexpose it? Did I underexpose it? Or maybe I should have been at a different angle and um, I'll try to go back out and get what I want from, you know, that previous image, so to speak. So a lot of the times, like I'll post stuff on, on my story that I haven't posted online because I wasn't too sure of that. And, uh, it's funny. I was just telling someone last night, it's like, you know, you create stuff, you think that it's trash, but it's not necessarily trash. You may not mm-hmm. be at that point in your life where you want to share it. So like a year later, you know, something may have happened in your life, personal life, and you revisit that art again and it makes more sense to you and it makes more sense to share it at that time. So mm-hmm. uh, that's something that I've been, you know, finding out a lot about myself lately as well. Okay. So you revisit a lot of your previous works? Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. I think it's important. I think it, it helps, you know, especially like if you develop, you develop your own film and there's so many different techniques and so many different ideas, especially nowadays online that people share and stuff like that. And it's just like, ah, maybe, you know, I didn't develop this long enough or mm-hmm. just little subtle things, you know, um, outside of actually making the image, but like bringing it to life. So, okay. Have you found any gems from the past? Like, man, I don't know a, if they're gems. Like, what? Well, I'm sorry. Um, what I mean by like is like, man, this is a really great photo. How did I pass this up? Right. Yeah, yeah. I I, I come across them every now and then. I, I come across. And I'll post them online. Um, I don't say, you know, this is from 2014 or anything like that. I'll just treat it as if it's, you know, a recent image 
yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, I can kind of tell the old stuff just based on how it looks from the way that I developed it. Yeah. You know, like if it, if it looks, um, super washed out or something like that, I'm just like, ah, oh, that's, you know, so tacky on me. And luckily you can fix a lot of like the highlights and stuff and, and post, um, using Lightroom and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I probably laugh a lot more at my development process from years ago compared to now because I don't know if I was just overly anxious um, when I was younger or, you know, what was going on in my mind at the time. But uh, that's an art in itself, developing and, and refining, refining that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh I, I, it kind of just led me down to a different question path because uh, you said how you develop your film in the past versus now, but uh, it completely, it took me somewhere else. And, and I want to ask, have you gone to school or gotten any kind of photography focused education? None whatsoever. Okay. Self-taught. None whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong uh, with that person. Vanessa Charlotte is actually self-taught, by the way. Award-winning photographer. Really? Yes. Yeah. She's awesome. She's a great person. Uh, now, I, I only asked that question because it, it leads me to this question. How do you learn more about photography? And I don't mean like um, technique-wise, like long exposure techniques. Obviously, that's trial and error. But how do you, you learn more about the processes of photography, the mental aspects of all of that? Um, well, I don't think, uh, I think that's with anything. Like, so I think most artists, no matter what type of art that they create, like the creating process is, is the same, so to speak, mm-hmm. like the drive and what drives them to create. So for me, like I listen to, listen to a lot of jazz and just from a theory standpoint you know I'll, I'll look at song structure and and understand why you know major sevens are so important for this this type of music and mm-hmm. and how it fits with whatever you know and i think it's the same way for photography so i'll look at you know black and white photography from that standpoint or i look at color photography from that standpoint like why was this film choice so important to document the city of new york mm-hmm. You know, why was black and white so important to document, you know, the city in Japan or whatever? You know, um, I, I don't know if I'm answering the question the way, but the way that I learn more about photography is just like how I see life, mm-hmm. how other people that I may follow or hold in high regard see life because it's going to bleed out in their life. Yeah. So, like, if the whole aspect of photography is bringing someone into your picture, so to speak, to see what you're seeing, then you have to, by default, be able to see or, you know, be able to see and accept what other people are seeing. Yeah. So, would it safe to be say, would it safe to, would it be safe to say uh, the messages and stories from previous photographers are how you learn Yeah, it's safe to say that in photographers and, and musicians, mm-hmm. um, 
because if I just stick to it, like if, if we we both are photographers, and if we were standing by by side out shooting together, mm-hmm. we shoot the same direction. Your story is going to be totally different from mine. Yeah, most definitely. So the same same way, if we play an instrument, you know, we play the same instrument, but your approach is going to be totally different from mine. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to constantly um, just be open to the idea that people view things differently from you, yeah. you know, just in life and, and, and in society and, and in art or whatever. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm writing this idea I have down. But I, I do agree. Everybody, like even if we were given the same subject, the same camera, the same roll of film, we can only take one picture each of a model. We would still take a different photo. Yeah, I may read the light different, you know. Exactly. You may use the, you may use the subject to tell the story more. I may use the shadows to tell the story more. It's like little mm-hmm. little things like that, you know. Yeah. So I apologize for that long pause, but kind of I want to do an experiment now. Uh, but that's later after the podcast. Uh, so you you've mentioned jazz multiple times, and I started listening to jazz. I would say about four years ago when I got into England. Uh, the reason was I got tired of listening to the same music choices, right? Uh, nothing new was coming out yeah. that interests me. So I started listening to other genres and I came across jazz. Jazz is really great. I love jazz now. Uh, I even like coffee house jazz. It's kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. coffee house jazz. But anyways, so uh, a creative music and i'll tell you why i started listening to it i would challenge you to listen to opera right it sounds funny like what look at a kid from i listen to chicago uh, opera and i'm from chicago city gang members you know you know riding down the streets with with the loud music but you're not going to be riding around with opera where i'm from right but here i am now and listening to it and the reason why i started listening to it was a lot of movies I saw, the bad guys, right? The criminals, the masterminds, they're always listening to opera. Mm-hmm. Why? It is, it's very powerful music. Listen to Pavarotti. Uh, do you use Apple Music or Spotify? I use Spotify. I'm, I'm familiar with um, Luciano Pavarotti. Hey, there you go. Just Google one of his yeah. playlists and just listen to it. And it's all different. Mm-hmm. It's, you, you'll get inspired somehow because, uh, Opera basically is just singing a movie. It's a singing mm-hmm. movie, right? You got, mm-hmm. you know, cinematography, like you said, is photography with 24 frames. Uh, actually, I mean, yeah. you can make the same argument that jazz is nothing but classical music. Yeah. You know, same thing. If uh, you ever see the performance with Pavarotti and James Brown. No, I haven't seen any of the videos. I I, I think this far the furthest okay. I've done is listen to the music, and I I'm not gonna lie, I'm a fan of it. I was listening to it at work one day, and I was like, "Who's playing? That? Like you? You're playing this? I didn't know you like je- uh, opera." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, yeah, I yeah. do now." So uh, you you have to YouTube um, the I'm, James Brown and, and Pavarotti performance. I'm gonna I'm writing that down. So I do know uh, Pavarotti, he sings with uh, all kinds of different artists. and um, Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, his, was it tenor? I think so. And it doesn't matter. Uh, opera for all the listeners out there. And now this is going to bring me to my 
Next question is, when you're out shooting, how do you find the scene you want to shoot next? Um, so if I'm by myself, I tend to have like, um, I tend to have a goal. So like, let's say if I go out early in the morning here, we get a lot of fog and stuff like that. I'll have just like the fog on my mind as far as like, uh, actually being the subject matter and buildings or whatever else fog in between that. It is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. In the evening or, you know, closer to the evening, um, if I'm downtown St. Louis, I'm looking at shadows and, and how the shadows are bouncing off the different buildings and stuff down down there. I tend, you know, to think about things like that just to prevent myself from just shooting anything and, and everything just because, you know, I'm trying to kill a role or finish off a role or something like that. So I always have like a little... Um, goal whenever I do go out, you know, check the weather. It's going to be snow. Okay, that's perfect. You know, I know where I'm going to go. It's going to be fog or cloudy. I have an idea where I'm going to go. You know, if I'm going to shoot landscapes, then I'll start thinking about, you know, the film type I'm going to take just based on that. So I do have days where, um, if I'm just trying to fine tune things as far as like metering and stuff like that. Um, and I want to shoot people, I'll meter, like I'll take an infinite meter reading of my skin. Mm -hmm. I'm a fairly dark person and I'll kind of play with the settings based on the metering of my skin whenever I'm shooting people just to see how close I can get within what, you know, um, my exposure should be for when I'm out shooting. Yeah. That way I'm never fumbling around with the meter while I'm, you know, I already have it in my mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. For a person of this complexion, my meter setting should be X, Y, Z. So I do little things like that. Okay. So that I was, it's kind of sound very similar. So you take the, you got a handheld light meter, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you yeah, just kind of read your, your hand like that? I read, I read the front of my hand and I also read the back, the, the dark side, the dark side of my hand as well. So, okay. Uh, so I, I like to call it the Joel Meyerowitz trick. Cause that was the first time I heard it. He said to get like the perfect, um, complexion skin exposure on film. He, what he does mm-hmm. is cause he, he shot, he shoots with metered cameras. He just, uh, meters to his hand. He'll hold it up to the light and then camera i i do it from time to time too now and i look i got it and he says he never he sets the setting and he never mm-hmm. has to change it so i'm pretty sure it's the, it's the same yeah yeah cool cool all right um how do you focus now when you're out shooting how do you focus and block the distractions um well i mean that's easy for me to do because I don't get easily distracted by anything. So, um, there's only one person in St. Louis that I shoot with from time to time. He's an older guy and he's, he's extremely good. If, you know, if I go out and shoot with him, I already know a majority of that shoot is going to be us just talking politics and stuff like that, or just whatever. But like, if I'm out by myself, um, I'm a very disciplined person. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to, to distract me, but, 
nine times out of 10, I have in earbuds and I'll have something just playing in the background anyway. So okay. it makes it a lot easier for me, but I, I don't really get distracted, man. I don't really get distracted at all. So I, I don't know how many times I, for me, my, my biggest distraction is my phone. I like talking to people, especially when I'm, I'm out walking. Uh, but I know when I'm in my zone, I, I kind of just, I leave it alone. But there's been times where I'm, I'm like coming to a point where I'm like, okay, I can message my friend or whatever. And I get my phone and then I look up and the moment I've been looking for all day is just, it happened right in front of me. And I'm like, fuck, stupid phone. Should yeah. never picked it up. Fucking phone. Put it on silent, man. Yeah. Put it on silent. Yeah, well, I do. On silent. I keep it on. Uh, I have a, well, now the new iPhone thing is called um, focus mode. So I have a, a thing shooting. Yeah. And it turns off like all the notifications. But it's always whenever I grab it to to check what I got when I'm out of my my, my zone, I guess I, I should say. So phone is the most, the biggest distraction out there. Don't take it. You can't take, you, you need to have it. You can't not take it, but I guess you can. So have you ever faced any challenges that has unmotivated you in photography, just made you want to quit? Yeah. Um, and the challenges honestly aren't really like based on anything that I'm doing, but everything that I'm seeing with other people, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, um, um, like if I come across someone's work and I'm just like, man, that's extremely good. You know, I don't want to pick up my camera again, or at least for a while, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's with anything in life though. Like I, you know, if I, I do jujitsu and there's been days where, you know, I got dominated and I'm just like, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. But yeah. then you have to think about, I mean, this person got to that level because they kept, practicing they mm -hmm. kept you know kept going so to speak so um normally if i come across um like even older work from older photographers i'm just like there's no way but then i think like why am i doing this i'm not doing this to to one up this person you know i'm not doing this to and it feels good to be acknowledged and, and for people to you know hold your work in high regard but that's not the reason why i want to do it you know so, uh, but yeah. How do you overcome those challenges? That was the follow-up. Um, I just continue to shoot, man. Just continue to shoot mm -hmm. and, and create goals for myself. Like if you create goals for yourself, that's more important. Otherwise you're going to create goals. Yeah. Like my goal is to be better. My goal is to be better than Ricky or my goal is to, you know, get a Instagram post that has more like, like something it doesn't really make any sense goal wise. It doesn't add to the development mm -hmm. of your skill set. So I just have little small goals, man. Okay. A goal is a goal, no matter how big, no matter how small. So it's good to have. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you like most about shooting in the streets? Just being outside, um, just smelling the seasons, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's summertime because of, whatever's going on in the town that you live in, or you know that it's spring because of the way that the birds are chirping and the way the clouds look during sunsets and stuff like that. So I tend to appreciate stuff like that, man. Uh, like the weather is nice here. It was nice last night. And I went to the art museum and there is a huge field in front of the art museum where people hang out. 
have picnics and fly kites and walk dogs and stuff like that. And it's just like, how many more of these am I going to be able to experience before, you know, I die or whatever. So yeah. kind of take joy and, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want to think about dying just yet, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how would you say, I'm just going to say street photography because we're out shooting in the streets, right? Blanket term, not the particular Joel Meyerowitz genre of street photography. But how do you feel street photography has improved your overall photography journey? Um, If I look at old stuff, my old framing, and you can tell that uh, it made me more patient because I look at old stuff and I'm just like, I was so nervous and I was in a rush to get a shot or whatever that I didn't think framed this properly. Or I wish if I would have, had taken my time, I would have got more in the frame versus, you know, a quick mm-hmm. uh, shot, so to speak. So um, makes you more patient, man. Um, I never feel like you're going to run out of content, so to speak. You know, you kind of play the, the waiting game and you, you wait for something to happen and stuff like that. But um, I'm a lot more relaxed now and a lot more patient when it comes to me getting what I want like shot wise. Okay. So I, I, I'm going to ask this question. This is just off the topic of what you were saying, but so the last person I was talking to, we were talking about filming uh, and I was telling them my shooting experience where I could shoot a roll of film in two or three minutes. And then there's times where I could shoot a roll of film in two months, just stays in the camera. What's the, f- mm-hmm. the fastest you ever shot a roll of film and what's the longest the longest was probably about a week. Uh, the fastest, I'm not going to say it's two or three minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you had to have like a motor driver or something where you just fire firing shots off. Yeah, just, nah, just, oh, yeah. yeah. Zone, zone focus, uh, advance and shoot. I got you. Probably fastest, maybe 30, 35 minutes, man. Okay. I do a lot of walking, you know, I, I do a lot of walking, then I'll sit and I'll walk out, you know, sit. Mm-hmm. But um, I need to step my game up two or three minutes. <laughs> no, don't worry. Okay. Uh, it's not a competition. I can tell you it yeah. was more of a, it was, I was in a new environment. It was probably actually in London. I can tell you now uh, it was, I, I just got back from Japan. I got a new film camera. Uh, it wasn't a Leica, by the way. It was uh, a Nikon. Oh, it was a Canon F1. So it was the Canon when I'm F1. when I'm at well at family functions I burn through film yeah. fast because you know it's different but as far as just like being out on the street um, normally about thirty forty five minutes so yeah so take your time don't waste the film I, I did it because I had I and I I'm actually still trying to shoot most of that film I had but I, I had so many so much so many rolls of film it didn't matter to me and I was I was just excited to shoot it was a new experience and. None of those photos were good by in any means, but uh, uh, just you know yeah. that was the fastest. Like, and I was like, oh shit, I'm finished with this one. Uh, but yeah, so that was just a, a side tangent topic, and uh, we'll get back to what I was gonna say. So um, we got how the street photography improved your overall photography experience, but when you find the subject you want to make a photo of, what do you want the photo to say? I was there. 
as far as like you, the person that's viewing the photo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how do you get I mean, the photo if, to say that? Um, I'm trying to think uh, what would be the easiest way to say that. I don't know. Like, I want my my ideal goal is for my photos to feel like you're putting on headphones for listening to music. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, you're over someone's shoulder while they're having a conversation with someone else. Like, the intimate part of creating, that's what it should be about as far as bringing the person on the receiving end into your your world, so to speak. So even if, like a lot of people ask me about my photography and, and like the meaning behind it, like it may mean something to me one way and for you it may resonate in another way. And it's like, even if I tell you some of my thought process behind photos, uh, can't lie, like I could never like tell you the 100% reason why I took the photo. Like cer- certain parts of the creative process I like to keep to myself mm-hmm. and for myself, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not like in a stingy way or anything like that. I just feel like it's a part of like me, you know? It's your photo. But, you absolutely have that right to, so... Uh. You don't need to explain it to anybody. Yeah. So is there any one particular photo, uh, new or old, master or rookie, novice, amateur, uh, that when you seen the photo, you felt like you were there? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, man. You're making me think. <laughs> I would say, um, like, whenever I go over to East St. Louis and shoot, like, if I go into the neighborhood mm-hmm. that I grew up in and shoot, um, those probably mean the most to me just because I can remember as a kid walking those streets and, you know, stories with my friends and just doing all of the, the things that kids do as far as getting in trouble and all of that stuff. So whenever um, I go into my old neighborhood and... I develop those photos. Um, they always tend to mean more to me than anything else. So, yeah, because I, I was actually there. Like I know, you know, like I know what summer sounds like on that street. Mm-hmm. You know, I know everything about that area because um, I experienced it. So, Sentimental. those photos I tend to, yeah, right. I got you. So, is there something you learned along the way that you feel? all photographers should know? I think all photographers should know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have a clear answer for that. I mean, outside of as long as you shoot, you should get better. Um, and you review your work and you compare your work to you know, someone you trust and, and you have them critique your work, I think there's, this it should be a learning process. Mm-hmm. Like you should learn like the art of photography. I know that sounds cliche to say, but... It's not at all. Um, I mean, but, you know, like there's things that make photos important, mm-hmm. you know, from your subject, from shadows, from heart, you know, mm-hmm. everything. If you're shooting film film type and, and, and stuff like that and trying to learn as much theory about it. I think all photographers should do it because um, 
you have people that's never shot in manual mode and not, and that's not a shot against anyone because, um, I was shooting automatic mode, like on the digital cameras and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, sometimes things die and it's like, if you don't know how to, um, gauge certain things, then what are you going to do as a photographer? Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. Uh, I was going to say something similar. Um, I think all photographers should know, never stop learning, continue learning, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And if you feel like you learned enough of one particular subject, start learning something from another subject to incorporate in the subject you want to shoot. So that's something yeah. I do. I uh, do. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, no, I do. Um so I study a lot of like fashion photography. Mm-hmm. I study posing. I study because that's an art in itself, you know? Yeah. So like I have a subscription of Vogue and I look through it and I just study the photography and that, you know, um, get online and, you know, certain hashtags I follow that only focuses on that type of photography um, with, you know, portraits and, and fashion shoots and stuff like that. And it's not, you know, you look at, like if you, you're looking at that, people are like, oh, you're just looking at, you know, the beautiful women and stuff like that. But no, there is an art mm-hmm. in in that because, you know, they're selling something to you and they're engaging the audience via posing. And, and you know, you're looking at the guy in a suit and it's like, man, I can see myself in something like that or whatever. Like there's an art that comes along with with it that I, I, I appreciate. Yeah. So um, I'm... I try to learn because no matter what genre of photography, I can learn something and incorporate it into what I do in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Posing is definitely an art. Uh, I studied model portraiture briefly in England for a brief time. And I don't want to say I gave up, but I moved out of England. And um, that was right around the time where I started learning street photography. And I didn't, I'm not saying there is no need to learn it. It's absolute, mm-hmm. it, it's ben- beneficial if you know it. Uh, but it, does, it doesn't do anything for me right now at this particular moment. But it is definitely, a, it's an art in itself to learn how to, to pose somebody. So, yeah. What would you say is your most memorable moment of making a photograph? Um, recently, and when I say recently, I'm talking probably in the past couple of years, uh, the last time I visited Chicago, Mm -hmm. it was probably, uh, yeah, I got pizza from, um, can't remember the name of this place. It's a popular, it's a popular place. I can't remember the name. All right, let's Um, go down the list. Connie's, Giordano's, Uno's, Giordano's. Giordano's, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but yo, it's been in Chicago, man. I, um, went to Chinatown and I did, I got a lot of like candid portraits there. And, um, you know, there was those, that was probably the most memorable thing that I've experienced over the past couple of years. Then COVID happened and it kind of screwed up traveling. Um, so my plan this year is to get out more, see the world, man, and, and, and do the same. I just kind of have cabin fever 
been stuck inside and not being able to do anything. So I got you. Something I'm itching to do. Yeah. So a little another side note. Uh, my house where I grew up, born and raised, is actually about five ten minutes away from Chinatown in Chicago. So yeah, that's a cool place. Uh, what do you want your, uh, what do you want to accomplish with your photography? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to answer that in a way that, that makes sense for, for people listening. Um, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy photography, man. Like I enjoy, I enjoy it. So, um, I don't know how to answer it for for the oh, people listening. It's, it's, it's kind of a it's a simple it's a simple question, but it's it's, it's complex. Um, or unless I'm just making it complex, but it's all good. Uh, are you currently working on any projects, books, scenes, long term, short term? If you are and you don't want to talk about it, you can just simply say yes. Or if you are, you would like to discuss it, uh, feel free. I have a few ideas that I'm, I'm playing around with in my head. Um, that's partially why I haven't really been active on social media as much as I, I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a few things that um, I'm brainstorming right now okay. that I hope to put into fruition soon. So I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. Okay, that's fine. Uh and then circling back, I know you, you mentioned earlier you like to write poetry. Um, this was just a, mm-hmm. a project, and I still do it, but I write blogs. And I also like writing poetry from time to time. But what I do is, uh, and this is just for me, maybe you, you would, can use it and inspire you to go more artistically too. Uh, I want to create a book of haikus based on photos that I've taken. And mm-hmm. um, so what I what I do is I'll take a photo that I really like and I'll write a haiku about it and I'll also write just a free verse. Okay. I I like to incorporate poetry to a photo and it's really challenging too, because you know, like uh, the photo, it it could be random. Like I'll just, you know, like, Oh, I like this one. This is the one I'm going to write about. And just looking at it, I have to look at this photo and come up with, the two poems. So, mm-hmm. yeah. If, have you ever um, have you ever heard of the Sweet Fly Paper of Life? I by, have I'm going to write this. Okay. Down. So this is a book by um, Roy Day Caraba and Langston Hughes. So he was the photographer. You know, Langston Hughes provided the poetry for that book. Mm-hmm. So each image, there's like a story. Okay. Under each image. Okay. Um, it's, it's it's pretty dope, man. I would buy it. Uh, I would buy the book. It it shouldn't be that expensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe thirteen, fourteen bucks nowadays because it's been mass produced. So okay, yeah, I'm gonna look it up right after here. Cool. I wrote it down. Uh, all right. And now, if you could go back to day one where you realized you want to be a serious photographer, right? What mm-hmm. advice would you give yourself? Study your work and study people that you look up to's work. Like it's easy, like I said earlier, to think that you, you look at a great photographer's work 
but you don't realize that you're looking at the best of their work. You know, mm-hmm. they also have a lot of duds, you know, you get your film back and you look at stuff and you're just like, man, you know, I laid an egg or I have all of these duds and no keepers and stuff like that. But that's very common amongst photographers. Mm-hmm. That's something that I didn't know when I was young. You know, um, I just thought everyone was just like the Michael Jordan with the camera and it's like every shot can go in the gallery and, and yeah. stuff like that. So um, it's just, you know, trust in the process and learning and, and um, just being honest when it comes to critiquing your work. You're going to always be your biggest critic. Definitely. You know, you know, like even if I say, I don't think this photo was dope and you're like, I think it's dope. Like there's something about it internally that I know I should have done different, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and you may not share that with the person, but you just kind of know, you know, kind of like, you know, when you nail something, yeah. that's exactly what I wanted, you know? So um, I would just say study, man, study your work and study the work that you admire and, and people that took the craft seriously. Um, I don't know much on the theory aspect of it. I, I, you know, I study that stuff and, and, um, but I never had any type of formal education in photography. So mm-hmm. I always go back and, and try to brush up on stuff to make things make sense to me when I'm out, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really big on the word keepers and hitters and, and hit rate and all that. Uh, what does keepers mean to you? If it, if it can show what that day was about, so to speak, like if, if that photo can sum up that entire day in itself, yeah. whether it's good, bad, ugly, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, like one of my, my favorite photos that I have on my Instagram, I, I took this years ago, it was during a blizzard and it's a guy on a bike and he's riding. And that's one of my, my favorite photos because mm-hmm. I think that photo captured that day, you know, um, I remember the day like it was yesterday, the snowstorm coming to this area, everybody's rushing to get home by any means and mm-hmm. just so happened, you know, I see a guy riding a bike and I'm assuming that he was headed home, Yeah, you know, so. Um, okay. Well, so I, I only ask cause like, uh, talking to street photographers when I was, when I first started learning, you know, like everything was all about the keepers. Like, oh, I'll shoot uh, a thousand photos, but I only got one keeper, right? And then, like, the more, mm-hmm. uh, like I told you, I'm constantly studying photography. Like, the more I'm studying, like, shouldn't all our photos be photos we want to keep, right? Like, obviously, I mm-hmm. know not every photo we take is going to be a good one, right? You're going to have some mm-hmm. some fucked up ones. I get it. But, like, why are we pressuring ourselves to take one good photo out of a thousand and i get it photography is all about the numbers you know it's it's a lottery you'll get lucky with the one but like why are we pressuring uh, ourselves for for just that one that one keeper i well i think from that perspective i think that's more of a social media you know like this is the one that's gonna get shared on different photography pages and stuff like that. But like when I was saying like a keeper or what I consider mm-hmm. a keeper, that's what I'm, I'm thinking from the, the, the lines of, you know, does this photo express this mood or this day or whatever, you know? But um, I mean, I hear that a lot and it's, it's kind of easy. I think it's easy for a lot of younger people that are getting into photography now via 
like YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that. Like you can get lost in the sauce of um, trying to just like be that, that guy or that gal or someone on social media versus like really appreciating your photography for what it is. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I'm sorry. You can continue. I was, I was just agreeing with what uh, you're saying. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. But yeah. So like when I hear people talk about keepers from that ass, from, from, from that point, I, I tend to know what they're talking about. Um, and you know, I get it. I get it. It, to a certain extent, but, um, I just know, you know, you're chasing your tail when you think along those lines, because it's not about, it's, you, you shouldn't make it about, um, getting the glory or something like that, because believe it or not, it's like your favorite photos. Most people may not appreciate them. And it's mm-hmm. like all of what the ones that you think are trash are the ones that get the most attention and people yeah. want prints of and stuff like that. So, you just kind of have to divorce yourself from the mindset of uh, trying to like please people. Yeah, I guess. And so uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just <laughs> bugging out. No, no, no. It, it's good. Like you know, our our I, I'm going to say opinions because everybody sees photography different. Everybody interprets it different. So I, I mean, I agree with a lot of the stuff you said, right? Um, but. Uh, the one I just wanted to say, I was watching a YouTube video. Um, I, I watch historical videos, not new ones put out by con- content makers. I like to sp- see videos from well-established photographers, really good, well-known photographers. And and one, something, I forgot who it was that said it, but it was like, uh, you have to make the photo to for yourself, right? Like the moment you make a photo to please someone else, you please nobody. And I was like, oh, shit, why does not, like, why does, like, more people not understand this concept? So uh, pretty much just to, <laughs> to piggyback on what you were saying. So uh, I definitely agree. Uh, and now is a part of the podcast where I would like you to recognize, highlight, recommend any photographers, musicians, artists, out there in the world, Instagram, websites, personal friends, whoever it may be, uh, yeah, who you feel does not get the proper recognition? Um, let me see. You're putting me on a hot seat, man. I don't know a lot of people. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, so if you don't got nobody now, you can actually uh, just shoot me some messages in, on Instagram because that's pretty much how I, I talk to everybody now Instagram DMs. Uh, you can shoot me some messages there. And what I'll do is when this episode, uh, I upload it, I just, I add them in the show notes. So people get a chance. Yeah, I can to... do that. Okay. So I'll do part. that. Perfect. Perfect. And then the last question I always ask, thank you, Craig Clark, is what does street photography mean to you? Not the, you know, proper definition, but what does it mean to you personally? It means a lot because um, you're bringing people into your environment. So it's like, you know, I've never been in New York City. Okay, but there's photographers that I follow and and photographers who work I study that photographed, you know, New York City from the different boroughs to Wall Street and everything. And they brought me into their world, you know. I know the Midwest is totally different from the East Coast. 
totally different from the West Coast. So it's like if you are able to capture the essence of your environment that makes it easy for an outsider to understand and feel like they're there or they've been there or would even make them want to go there. I think, you know, you're doing your job and I think street photography does that. Okay. I like it. There's, there's never a, a right or wrong answer. It's just like hearing everybody's yeah. interpretation of that. I haven't got one answer that's the same from somebody else's. So that's why I like, I was asked that question early on in the podcast and I just adopted it. And it's always the last question I always ask my guest. Uh, with that being said, that's like I said, that's the last question I ask. But now is the opportunity for you to ask me any question you like, and I will answer the best I can. Yeah. What about you, man? Do you have any upcoming projects that oh, man. Um, you're excited about or? Uh, I do. Uh, there's one I can't talk about because it's still in the, the workout phase. And it's actually a collective project with me and some other photographers. Uh, but personal projects, uh, I, I'm always working on something. And like we were going back to earlier, I'll start something and then I'll scrap it and then I'll come back to it. Um, so I kind of wanted to take this year off of personal projects just to focus on uh, educating myself more on photography. And I've been uh, talking with a lot of, uh, I want to call one person my mentor, and I've been working with this one person and been getting a lot of insight, seeing different perspectives, understanding photography more deeper than what you would typically learn from a YouTube. Uh, not like not that, not that there's anything wrong with learning from YouTube, but I'm trying to, you know, extend my horizons, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's exciting, man. I'll definitely uh, look out for mm -hmm. that project once you, you yeah. speak on it. Um, it's always good to hear upcoming things from other creative people. So I that's dope, man. Appreciate the support. Anything else? I don't have anything else, man. Oh, don't. Perfect. Uh, well, I want to say thank you again for having this wonderful conversation. It was probably a lot easier than you expected. Uh, I know podcasting can be intimidating if you've never done it before, but it's super simple once you start recording and talking about something you are passionate and love. So uh, thanks again. Um, any last words? Hey, th thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Uh, and then... Uh, just kind of a little goodbye note. Uh, I do host group chats occasionally, very often. I'm planning another one probably in, in a few weeks from now. If you like to join, uh, you are always more than welcome. The links are open to everybody. And um, yeah, it's just something if you ever consider doing, it's always there. And they just link up and talk to like-minded photographers. So. Everybody who's listening, thank you. Have a great day, rest of your evening, morning, drive to work, commute, whatever it is. Enjoy the rest of it. And that's the end of this episode with Stan Brock, Like a Street Photography Collective. Thank you. <laughs>